Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the wind beats against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty, mighty crash. Right now, our world is founded on the sand. Our culture is founded on the sand. It doesn't have a firm place to stand. Our children, are, 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 their, lives are being found, their lives are being on this foundation of sand, and it's shifting and it's breaking. And you can look around and you see what is going on in the world and what's going on in our culture. People are dying. Suicide rates are the highest they've ever been for our teenagers. The world is looking for hope and they're looking for something solid to stand on, but they can't find it because the culture is offering them something that is always moving, always shifting, always sifting. Because right here, here's what the culture does. It says, when you get here, this is where you're going to find happiness. This is where you're going to find what you need. And guess what? As soon as you get to that line, the line moves. And then it says, no, 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 you got there, but you need to come a little bit farther. You need to get a little bit deeper. You need to, you need to achieve a little bit more. And the world's always giving us unstable yeah. ground. Amen. And I want to read this statement. Because every generation, guys, and we're talking about generations today. We're talking about building a foundation for generations to stand on. Every generation has experienced God in its own way. Every, every generation that's going to go past us will experience God in their own way. Now, we're built on the word of God, but how they express that is different. We worship today different than people worship God in the 1920s. And it's not wrong. It's, not, it's just different. It's a different expression of who we are. And I'm telling you guys, as we keep moving forward, God, it's going to keep doing those things. In the 1920s, there was tent revivals that people came from all over the world and all over the countryside to come and hear about the word of God. And then after the tent revivals, there was the great Jesus movement when the hippies were going crazy. There was the great Jesus movement that brought swaths of people into the, into the house of the Lord and, and to give their life to Jesus. And then in the 1990s, we had the Brownsville Revival that opened up a new ushering of the Holy Spirit and that happened at Azusa. It's just, and it keeps continuing on and on and on. And now, you know, when, when, and, and when I was in youth ministry, there was this great music movement. Like people would, like people come to faith just by listening to music. Uh, that's things about Jesus. 
Every generation is going to experience God in their own way. He's going to draw their hearts to them in their own way, in a language they can understand. And that's the problem, guys. The generations have different languages. We don't all speak the same language. I mean, we speak English. We all have different lingos. We have different ways of experiencing life. We, we, we don't understand each other's language. We all have different languages. In the 19... The 1925 to 1945, the, the silent generation is what these, this generation is called. They didn't have a lot of slang terms because those teenagers were taught to not say anything. You were, you were to be seen and not heard. And so the traditionals, those are people that were born between 1990, 1925 and 1945. They were told to be quiet, to shut up and be quiet and sit down. You're to be seen and not heard. And so they had a few slang terms. One was trick or treat. Do you know what that is? Any of you older folks, can you tell me what that is? No? <laughs> I know some, some, some 90-year-olds in here, I'm sure. Uh, it means spend money on your honey. right? I'm going to go take a trick-or-treating. We're going to go out and we have a good time. You know, We're going to be fancy-like, you know that song. We're going to do some stuff. We're going to have a good time. I'm going to spend a lot of money and be broke. Yeah. These, this traditional's... The silent generation, they wore suits and dresses to everything. I hear stories of people like, man, my great-grandpa would be out there mowing the yard in his suit. That's what they did. That's what they wore. That's their culture. That's their language. And then we had the baby boomer generation, 1946 to 1964. All right, boomers. They're boomers. Their language was really... That's when the, the teenagers really sprung up in our culture. Before then, there wasn't really, teenagers really didn't exist, but the boomers was kind of the first teenager generation. And, and you've seen this. What? We were babies. You were babies. Yeah. So you're on the other end of it. But the baby, baby boomer generation, they came up with some things. Uh, here's, here's, here's some lingo for you. Drop a dime. Do you know what that means? Now, this generation, that's something totally different. <laughs> but for that generation, dropping a dime here is not a good thing. But for that generation, I should have researched. I should have, like, I should have thought a little deeper about these. <laughs> but dropping a dime is not good here. See, different language. But back then, it was just give me a call. Drop a dime in the phone. phone. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Drop. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Here's another word they use, lay a patch. It means I'm going to burn out. I'm going to hit the gas, right? We're going to peel out and leave some, leave some tracks. Baby boomers, hippies come from this generation. Enough said. <laughs> My mother is a baby boomer. She was a hippie. I'm surprised that I came out with some kind of normal name. <laughs> Not Moonflower or something weird like that. I love my mom. I love you, mom, if you're watching. Neil Diamond, yeah, I am named after Neil Diamond. Yes, I am. Um, but they had their own language. They had their own culture. Jesus reached them in their own way. And then you have Gen X like me. How many Gen X is in here? So if you're not sure, uh, Gen Xs were born between 1965 and 1979. So I'm on the latter end of that. But Gen X, I can tell you all about that. Our words were yuppie. You know what yuppies are? Young, urban professionals. 
yuppie, right? Preppy people, people that are, you know, too good for everybody else. And then we had this, word. You know what that is? It's just agreeing, word, word up. Yeah, man, word, word to your mama. Man, our style was ripped jeans and Doc Martens. Yeah. Millennials. Yeah, millennials in here. Right. And you're still alive, man. We didn't think you'd live that long. And you're still alive. Look at that. And you're out of the house. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, millennials have their own language. Uh, and millennials have so much of their own language. Like the slang terms have went crazy with the millennial generation. Um, one is low-key. Do you know what that is? Yeah, some of the older people are like, I don't know what low-key means. It's like on the down low. It's like in the silence. Like, I low-key like that person. Or I low-key don't really want to be in church today. You know, I'm, I, I low-key think this guy on stage needs to get off stage, right? This is secretly. And then shook. My kids do that a lot. I'm so shook. And I make fun of them all the time. Because I started using it. And guess what? They stopped using it. So what happens? Shook. I'm shook. Yeah. Shook means just emotional, right? We're just, I'm so emotional right now. I guess for Gen X, it'd be emo, you know, same word. But millennials, they love their skinny jeans and throwback t-shirts. Yeah. Mark still wears his skinny jeans. They're out, bro. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Gen Z. Uh, Gen Z. All right. If you don't know your Gen Z from, yeah, they're, they're here, man. 1995 to 2012. You're 10 to 27 years old right now. So you're Gen Z. Gen Z uses such terms like yeet. You're like, what is that? So it's just excited, right? You got to throw something while you do it, right? I'm just excited. I'm going to throw this table. Yeet. Jesus said yeet when he threw the tables. You're right. Um, yeet. Just excitement, approval. It's their own language. Here's another one, Chugi. What? Justin knows what that is. Out of date. Out of date. Last week. So last week. I probably said that wrong. And I like me. I'm out of date. And it's like time to get off, right? Time to get off stage. Chugi outdated last week. Their fashion is this. Whatever's in mom and dad's closet. I've noticed this. Right? You guys. I mean, you're wearing the bell bottoms, you're wearing the ripped jeans, you're wearing the throwbacks, you're wearing whatever mom and dad had in the closet, and you're wearing mom jeans, please stop. It's all good. No, mom jeans are good. This, this comes from the generation that wore, uh, you know, parachute pants and Django pants. <laughs> yeah. But every generation is different. Every generation is, is unique, and every generation uh, experiences God in their own way. And, and I want to read this statement as, as we as a church represent all generations. And we must not see our differences as hindrances, but as an opportunity. Each generation brings something special to the table in order to make Jesus known. Each generation has its own bent and its own sins. As a church, we are mandated by King Jesus to break the cycle of generational iniquity, to set up new foundations that are set deep into the bedrock of the ages so that our children and our children's children would declare the wonders of God 
They will build on top of what we build, and it will stand forever. Right now, the foundations of the world are being shaken, and the only thing that will stay is what's built on solid ground. The only founda- these old foundations of false identity, addiction, nationalism, religious piety, passivity, and pride are set on the sands of culture. And those foundations are set to fall. And the only thing that will remain is the eternal, what Jesus has built. When Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, he meant it. He was saying on this gospel, on this solid rock, this solid foundation, I will build my church and it will not be shaken it will stand up against the gates of hell. You, us, we all together, doesn't matter if you're Gen Z, it doesn't matter if you're the silent generation or in between, we all build upon this, on this foundation. We all build upon this foundation of Jesus Christ. The generations are built on this. And when we, here we are today celebrating Jesus 2,000 years ago. Jesus set this thing in motion, and here we are today, built upon the rock of ages, and we keep growing it, and we have a mandate to keep growing it for the next generation. Like I said, every generation is built on the foundation of the last, good or bad. We have to take it all. We can't just leave it at the door. What, what, what happened in the generation before me affects me now. But what, I, what my parents did affects me. What my my grandparents did affects me. Their sins affect me. Their failures affect me. Likewise, my failures will affect my kids and their kids. Jesus says, actually, God says this in Deuteronomy 5. He's giving the law to Moses, and he's telling the people this. Deuteronomy 5, 7. You shall have no other gods before me. Most important then you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." What is what's God talking about? What does he mean he's going to visit us for the third and the fourth generations? Our sins. God's not placing our sins on them. He's visiting our sins. Meaning he's, he's coming in, he's sitting in your house, he's like, oh, you're still dealing with that? You know, your grandpa dealt with that. Your dad dealt with that. And you're still, you're still following that pattern. You don't have to follow that pattern. He's visiting and saying, when are you going to get free of this? Are you ready to get free of this? That's what he means by saying he's visiting it for the next three three to four generations. And the problem is it becomes a pattern. These these generational sins, these generational patterns become a pattern that we follow. I just follow in the footsteps of my dad. I just follow in the footsteps of my grandfather and my mom and my, 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 my grandmother. The ones that went before me set the path for me to follow. Good, bad, or indifferent. You see this really with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, he was afraid, and so he lied about his wife. He said, Sarah, tell them you're my sister, even though she was in a weird kind of way. He said, tell them you're my sister. That way, if if Pharaoh finds favor with you and likes you, he's not going to kill me and take you from me. And so 
Pharaoh sees her, says, man, she's good looking, takes her in to his harem, and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Pharaoh's like, what's going on? And he finds out that Sarah is actually Abraham's wife, and he brings Abraham says, why did you bring this calamity on me? Why did you allow this to happen to me? And Abraham says, I was afraid, and so I lied. I was afraid, and so I lied. Fast forward Jake, uh, to Isaac. Same thing with Isaac. He goes into a new land. He's afraid that the king is going to take his wife from him and, and, and kill him and his family. So he, he lies about her. He takes her in. Luckily, he has a dream about her and says, oh, no, no, no. You're married to her, Isaac, and I can't take her as a wife. What, what do you even, why do you even bring her to me like this? Why do you lie to me? And he says, I was afraid. I was fearful. So I lied. The pattern was being followed. And then Jacob the deceiver. His whole life was marked by deception. His whole life was marked by lying to get what he thought he needed. It was a pattern he followed. He followed from his, from his father. He followed from his grandfather. If you ask Jacob why he did all those things, he would say this, I was afraid. So I lied. See, these are generational curses, whatever you want to call them, generational bents, generational sins. But it's more like a generational pattern. But however, Jesus came to break that pattern. And he can break that pattern for us. He actually gives us a new pattern to follow. You see in Romans 5, Paul breaking this down beautifully to the Roman church, that the old pattern is gone, the new pattern is here. There's a new way to, there's a new foundation. You don't have to follow those old patterns. He says this in Romans 5, 12, when Adam sinned, this is the first person that set the pattern, he entered the world, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, to, to, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. The pattern followed from generation to generation to generation. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. They didn't know they were sinning. They were just dying because of sin. But still everyone died. And from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam, as Adam did. But now Adam is a symbol a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many from his failure. He brought everybody into failure. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And as the result of God's gracious gift, is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. What is the Christian faith about? Being right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. That pattern caused death. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness or rightness for all who receive it. And they will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. This word triumph, is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a war word. When you triumph over something, you overtake it and you possess it. He's saying you're going to triumph over sin because of what Jesus did. Jesus triumphed over sin and we live in that victory. We don't have to follow the pattern because we have a new pattern. Jesus is that new pattern. And God is wanting to his people to build upon this foundation, the, the Jesus foundation, the foundation 
of the rock. We have, as the people of God, the responsibility to help others break those generational bents and live truly free in their new identity in Christ. Like Jesus said, are you building the house on sand or are you building the house on rocks? See, Jacob, his house was built on sand. And he was lying, he was conniving, he was fearful. And then one day he met God and he wrestled with God. And God changed his name. God changed his nature. He said, Jacob, you're no longer the deceiver. Now you're Israel, one who wrestles with God. He changed his nature. He changed his name. He set a new pattern for him. God cleared the old foundation and gave him a new one that's built on the rock. Simon Peter, the same thing. When, when Jesus is walking around Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? And some of the disciples said, well, you're, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a good teacher. Some say, you know, you're just a good, you're a good rabbi. And he says, but who do you say I am? And Simon jumps up and says, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus told Simon, nobody told you this, but God himself. And then he told him, you are Simon, but I'm giving you a new name. You are now Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. He gave him a new nature. He gave him a new pattern. He was no longer Simon Bar-Jonah, the son of Jonah. He was now Peter the Rock one of the founding members of the church, one of the stones laid first on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ. And it's lasted from generation to generation. Here we are built into it, built into that beautiful church. I got to jump down here to my notes here, Philippians. Or Ephesians 2, 18 says this. Speaking of that foundation, for through him, this is Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. If you are saved, you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. If you're saved, you're considered a saint. You're a saint. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. But on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. I love the way we, in our discover class, we, we, use, this, we use this passage to talk about how we all belong. In Ephesians 2, I, I took it out of the message translation. It talks about how we are built in brick by brick stone by stone, with Christ as the cornerstone. He's building into us a beautiful house in which God is quiet at home. Do you think about that? Your life is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he resides in you. And, and he has made you new. He has set a new foundation in which he is quiet at home. He's at home in your life. And, and we are built in as the people of God into this huge temple. So we're Think about this. We're just bricks simply laid into the temple of God to bring glory to him. When people look at the church, they see the glory of God. When people look at the church, what do they see? Do they see dirty or do they see something beautiful? Sometimes 
We're dirty, but most of the time, we're beautiful. Church, we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. We have the opportunity to break those generational patterns and those things that hold us back and keep us bound and chained. The spirit of addiction, the spirit that wants to hold us down, the spirit of idolatry, that's the biggest one we deal with. And you think, well, I don't have any idols in my house. I don't have any carbon image. Well, if it's more important than God, it's an idol. If you go to that for what you think you need, it's an idol. If you find comfort in something else, it's an idol. Jesus says, come to me first because I love you. And that, that term jealous, I want you to understand this. People say, well, if God's jealous, then he can't be right. He can't be good because jealousy is bad. No, it's not. I love my wife. And if somebody tries to take her, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to keep her. That's, that's a jealousy, but it's a good jealousy. It's saying that you matter to me. You matter to me more than anything. And I want to keep you because I love you. And that's the jealousy of God. He loved us so much that he said, over my dead body, will you leave me? That's why I sent Jesus. Over my dead body, are you going to leave me? Jesus came to set those, us free. He came to give us true life. He came to build upon the foundations, to build upon this foundation of the church and to keep it growing and moving. And we have, as a church right now, have an opportunity to keep that growing and to keep that moving because every generation, like I said, says their own language. They have their own way of seeing things. And we have a mandate to bridge the generational gaps and to build in them a firm foundation. So how do we do that? How do we build on this firm foundation? How do we keep moving as a church and as a people of God? Well, here's three things that anybody needs to keep growing and anything that people need to break those generational curses in their life and, and to keep those things out. Because here's, here's a great illustration. Right now, we're, I, I belong to a group of ministers that help churches out. And there's one church, the building, not, not to mention anything going eternal, internally. There's all kinds of mess there. But the church itself, the building itself, when it was laid, the foundation was laid, it was not laid right. And that building, now the walls are going like this. And it could fall over any day. It's not good. And the doors don't shut. The foundation is shifted and slid. And now the building is unstable because the foundation wasn't laid right. There's a big, long story about why it wasn't laid right. But the biggest thing is it wasn't laid right. And so now what they did is they called one of those pure people, the people that come fix foundations. They had to dig down really, 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 really deep until they found some rock to anchor into. And then they jacked up the foundation, and they leveled it, and they made it right. But guess what? The walls are still leaning. The foundation's good, but the walls are still leaning. The door still won't shut all the way. The problem's been fixed, but they have some work to do. And this isn't a you-have-to-work-your-way-to-God-speech. It's nothing like that. God has already made us clean. Now, I'm telling you, there's things in your life that you have to work through. There's things in your life that you have to come to God for and say, okay, God, can you help me get past this? Do you help me walk in who I am in you? God, if you've given me a new foundation, if you fix my foundation, then God, why are my walls leaning? 
Why are the doors wide open where people can come in and attack me and the enemy can come in and attack me? What do we need to do? Well, sometimes we got to we got to get in with God and let him be the general contractor in our life. Start to change things. Romans 12 says what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you know the good and pleasing will of God. If you're not if you're not pleasing God now, if you're not in his will, then your mind needs to be transformed. You're not walking in it. You're not walking in that newness of life. You're not, your feet aren't planted on that foundation because your mind needs to be transformed. How do you do that? How do we do that with our kids? How do we do that with the teenagers that are coming up? How do we build upon that foundation? How do we, how do we reach the generation gap? How do we build that gap? Three things. You need a space, you need a place, and you need a face. Preaching like a Baptist right now. A face, a, pee, a, fa- a space, and a face. Every generation needs a place. Every generation needs space, and every generation needs a face. Here's a statement. We foster an environment here at this church where questions can be asked and answered. An environment where people of all ages can experience the power and love of God where they see miracles and the gifts of the spirit operating an environment where we can be empowered and equipped to say no to the cultural spirit and yes to the Holy spirit. That's what we want to set here. That's what we want to foster here. A a, a space for people to meet with God, a space that fits them an environment to thrive in. My daughter loves animals and she comes home and tells me horror stories about people who buys animals and don't give them the proper environment to live and thrive in. Animal, just like animals, you have to put them in an environment to thrive. You're not going to put a bird in an aquarium filled with water. They're going to drown, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of way out there. But you have to set the environment for those animals to live and to thrive. If you, if you buy a huge six-foot six snake, anaconda is larger than six-foot. If you buy a six-foot snake and you put it in a little three-foot aquarium, it's not going to thrive. You have to build a space for something to thrive in. And we have to build a space for people to thrive in, a a space where people can grow. And I truly believe that this world needs less classrooms and more laboratories. Our kids need less classrooms and they need more laboratories where they can explore their life and explore their faith. They need a space. And they need a place. They need a place where they can experience God and, and explore their they're giftings. All of us do. You know, we can't, we can't just come in here as a church and say, that's oh, adults only, sorry. When you're 18, maybe you can serve here. Maybe you can do something. I love, if you go to the kids' church right now, there's, kid, there's, you know, there's youth over there helping out with the kids. You know what they're doing there? They have a place. They belong. We've invited them to the table and said, hey, you can serve here. You don't have to wait. You belong here. And then you go to a youth service. We have young adults pouring into the teenagers. You have a place. I remember one, two years ago, we were talking about Easter before the big shutdown, before uh, COVID hit. And we had all the families in there. We had our, our, our pipeline meeting, and little Shaylin was there, and she had some great ideas, man. If you want some great ideas, invite a little kid to give you some ideas. I'm like, 
I say, if this was the last Easter we ever had, what would we do? She's like, parade. I'm like, yeah, let's do a parade. I'm like, what's in the parade? She's like, unicorns and ponies. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. That's awesome. Outside the box, man. Kids, got, they can still imagine. Somehow we've lost our imagination. We got to get it back. They have a place. They have a place. They need to know they have a place. You have a place here to explore. You have a place to know and to find hope. A place. And then you need a face. You need somebody to teach you. Somebody that can come alongside you, grab you by the shoulder and say, come on, man, I know the way. This is how we get out of that. Man, you're dealing with this. I dealt with that. God got me free from that. Let me show you how to get free from that. You've got to have a face to go with. I'm with you. You have to have somebody to mentor you, somebody to teach you. But you also need peers. You need people that are kind of in the trenches with you. That way you can talk to them and you can build that relationship. Relationships are key to your Christian growth. If you're trying to do life without relationships, good luck. If you're trying to do this Christian thing without relationships, it's going to be hard. People say, I don't need the church. I don't want to go there. I thought that way for a long time. But oh my God, I didn't grow. I didn't grow at all. I was just stuck there until I got involved in church, until I got some people around me to show me the way and to grab me by the shoulder and say, hey, this is the way to go. That's when I started to grow. That's when I bloomed and blossomed. And that's what happens to you when you allow a group of people that love God to show you the way. And some of you are stuck right now because you don't have people to show you the way out. Find somebody. Find somebody. Right now, on Monday nights, if you're a guy, you need to be here at 6.30. If you want to get free, if you're tired of being stuck, you need to be here. We're going through Wild at Heart together, and it's been amazing. If you're, if you're a lady on Wednesdays, <laughs> some, of, some of us, we know who we are. All right, awesome. So Wednesday, <laughs> 6.30, you need to be here. You need to get free. You need, to, you need a, a group of people to come around you to lift you up and show you the way out. You gotta have people. You need a face. Paul tells Titus this in chapter two of Titus. He's telling Titus as the church leader, this is what's important. And this is what's important for any leader, but anybody. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. In other words, practice what you preach. Teach the older men to exercise self-control to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. He's saying, teach these men to be an example to be followed. Teach them how to live with self-control. Teach them how to live a life worthy of respect and to be wise. They must have a sound faith and be filled with love and patience. If we had more men like this, how would the world change? (coughs) Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Man, these are the early church. I'm not going to go off on this, but Paul so many times gets on to the women about heavy drinking. There must have been some heavy drinkers back then. Not just in Titus, but Corinthians, all those. Love their wine. All right. Don't be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes and do good 
and to be submissive to their husbands, then they will not bring shame on the word of God. He's saying older women teach the younger women what it looks like to serve God. Older men teach the younger men what it looks like to serve God. Tell them of the mighty works of God. You know, this generation, they haven't seen the things that, that, that you have seen, the ones that have gone before them. Gen Z hasn't seen a whole lot of miracles. They haven't seen a whole lot of things. But the silent generation, traditionals, you've seen it all. You've experienced things. Your faith is up here. It's time to stop being silent. You're called the silent generation. You need to speak up and tell people of what God has done. It's time to stop sitting down and wondering why this world's falling apart and stand up and be a voice and say, I know a God that can heal that. Stop sitting down and being silent. You are to be heard, not just seen. That's a word for you. Gen Z, you need to listen up. Millennials, we need to listen up. Gen, Gen X, we need to stop going, well, I'm in the middle. I don't know who I am. We need to listen up. We need to speak up. We've seen things. We've experienced things. We need to tell our kids how great God is, the wonders of God. Let's not be quiet about it. We need to be mentors to the ones younger than us. Not just in age, but also in faith. What's a mentor? It's the one who lives it, like Paul says here in Titus. You live it, you practice what you preach, you teach it, and you show it. It's men and women who know the way. It's a picture to follow. When I first got saved and I first came to faith, I didn't know what it looked like to be a godly man. I didn't know what it looked like to be a godly father. I didn't know what it even looked like to serve God. And then I got around a bunch of guys and they showed me a picture. I'm like, oh, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. I saw them, how they love their wives and they pray with their spouses. I saw how they disciplined their children and how they loved their kids and how they taught their kids. I saw how they dealt with people in the community. I saw how they served God and they loved God and they worshiped God and they weren't afraid of what other people say. They didn't, they didn't just come in here and say, okay, I'm here to listen to music. They worshiped God. They got engaged. They were, they were, they were in the mix. And I saw that. I said, that's the picture I need. And us, we have to give people a picture. That's what being a mentor is. It's giving a picture. That's how we break the generational curse, curses and the generational patterns. We show people a different pattern. Show them a different way of doing things. And Jesus had made, has made a way for that. God is calling us to raise the foundations for many generations. Isaiah 58, we've been going through this for the last three weeks. We got one more week. He says, if you do these things, clothe the naked. If you, break, if you break the bonds of oppression, if you give people a home to live in, if you take care of people, then I'm going to do these things. I'm going to use you to do these things, to restore the ruins, to, re, to, to raise up the foundations of many generations. He said, this is what we're, we're doing, talking about today. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 58. He tore down the old system and he built a new foundation. The new foundation is eternal. What did Jesus say? Destroy this temple 
In three days, it's going to be raised again. He built a new foundation. You go to Jerusalem now, that temple's gone. Nothing there. People sit around the wall and wail because it's not there. That's why it's called the Wailing Wall. That temple's not there, but the temple of God's still living and active. We're sitting in that chair right there. And I'm not talking about the person next to you. He's right here in us. We're the temples. He set the new pattern. He rebuilt the temple in three days. It's not made out of brick or mortar, but of flesh and blood. We are all built into it. I say this to say, what are we going to leave our kids? What's the pattern we're going to leave for the next generation? Are we going to keep continuing following that pattern? Or are we going to give them a new pattern? Are we going to show them Jesus? Are we going to tell them of what Jesus has done in our life? Or are we going to sit here and do nothing? I get the worship team to come up. Jesus came to give us freedom. He came to set a new pattern. He laid the new foundation. It's not built on what your parents did or what your grandparents did. They're failures. Once you accept Jesus Christ and you, put, and you give him Lord of your life, and you say, God, you're my new foundation, that old's gone. What they did doesn't affect you. It's, it's, it's not causing the problem anymore. All you got to do is fix the walls. How you do that? Renew your mind. Get around people. Find a space, find a place, and get in somebody's face. <laughs> and say, you need to show me the way because I need out of this. That's what it's taken for me to get free from things. I need people that I can come to and say, man, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really dealing with this. And they come inside me and say, man, that's not what God did in you, man. Do you not understand what God did in your life? Do you not understand that you can live free from this? You don't have to walk in that anymore? And I'm like, yeah, but how? He's like, well, come here, I'll show you. I'll show you how. This is how I got free. We need people in our life to do that. If I get the prayer team to come up as well. We need people in our life to help us to break free from those things. And right now we're, we're in this building project and we plan on putting a youth room out there because they need a space. Right now they're all meeting in here and it's great and fine, but they need their own space. They need a laboratory where they can experience God. And then when that's built, we're going to re remodel the kids area in there so they can have a space and they can have a place. And they can have a face to show them Jesus Christ. The kids coming up, those patterns are broken before they even get there. And it's because you as a parent have, have allowed your kids to come to Kids Church and, and hear. Dallas Michelle and his team do an amazing job. Those kids come and they hear who Jesus is. And they get prayed for and they understand. And then they come up into youth. And they grow even deeper. They start putting down deep roots. It's not just about God loves me. It's like God loves, he like really loves me. Like for all my mess, he still loves me. He has a plan for my life. I can experience God in a way I've never experienced God before. And they have people that they come to in a youth service and that pour into them and, and tell them who they are in Jesus Christ. They give them their true identity. Because this world's throwing all kinds of identities at people. And they're saying, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. And then they come to young adults. And they grow deeper. They build relationships that are going to last. They're able to pour into each other's lives. And then after that, 
they get involved in the church even more so. I'm telling you, I don't see how many people I see in here today that you started coming when you were little kids. There's people in, there's like four or five generations in here right now of families. They started when they were young and now they're still here. You've put up with pastor changes and all kinds of stuff, but you're still here. You're still serving faithfully. You're still putting in the work because you know what God has done in your life. We have the opportunity to build on that foundation. What are your kids going to do? What are your kids' kids going to do? It's, it's what you do now that matters. And right now, I want to just, I want to challenge you. Some of you right now, you may be facing these generational things and you, have, you can't break free. You don't know how to break free. You've given your life to Christ and you're just not sure how to do it. You're like, how do I get free from this stuff? I'm still dealing with the same things I've been dealing with my whole life. My family had it. My dad, he was this way. My grandfather, he was this way. I'm this way. You don't have to be that way. Jesus came to set you free. And we have a face right now for you. If you need prayer, we're going to help you walk through that. And we're going to help you. God's saying it's time to get free from that. It's time to break that generational curse, that generational bent. You're not leaning this way anymore. You're right with God. And because you're right with God, he can repair the walls. He can shut the doors. He can bring you freedom. But you have to make the effort. All you got to do is get up here and get prayer.